Hello and welcome to another edition of Proselytize or Apostatize. I'm your host, David Russell, along with my co-host, David Paulman. What's up, David? How's it going, Russell? Another day, man. Um, how you been? Oh, I've been really good. The whole family is like out for a couple weeks, so I got the house to myself and I'm just like catching up on sleep and it's it's nice. Yeah, you reading uh, our uh, our textbook for school? Yeah, I'm supposed to be. I was trying to, and I just couldn't get into it. Like, we're, I don't know. I don't know. Something about N.T. Wright writing on the problem of evil was just not connecting with me. I'll give it a shot again, though. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. I, I've gotten through the first couple chapters. It's It gets better as it goes. The first part's kind of boring, though. It took me a have while you, to get through. Have you tried the other one, The Empire of Darkness? I have started that one. It's actually, it's actually pretty neat, you know, if you're okay. looking at it from, like, a story form. It looked like, it looked like, like it was independently published or something like that so yeah. i wasn't stoked about it yeah and you know it took about like 12 days to get, get to my house so <laughs> so that was that was an interesting uh uh little run around with the um you know usps there but i finally got it anyways we've got an awesome debate for everybody tonight uh we've got james goodwin and caleb jackson here they're going to be talking about is Christianity true? Gentlemen, well, let's start with James. James, I, I found you on uh, Atheist versus Thea, uh, a Christian debate, not because there's two two of these uh, Facebook pages. One's Theist and the other one's Christian. So I found him on Atheist versus Christian, I believe, and he was he was promoting his, his new YouTube channel. So James, why don't you tell us a little about The Honest Atheist? Alrighty. Um, so... What is the honest atheist? Well, it's, it's just a YouTube channel, man. I've just um, recently started that because um, I was a pastor for four years. And prior to that, I was I completed a Bachelor of Theology in New Zealand. And um, I went through a process of, of deconverting. And this was a massive um, epistemological change for me. And this whole area of religion and atheism whatever i might claim to be is still my deepest passion and it's still something that really interests me um i love having conversations and i'm about having honest conversations too so um yeah i really enjoy engaging with people and discussing um my story with people and hearing from others who have similar stories and I'm looking forward to being here today, man, and um, I'm excited about this topic today, and uh, I think it's going to be a good conversation. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And you're from you're from across the pond, are you? From way across the pond. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in New Zealand, um, but at present I'm living just outside of Melbourne, um, on a small farm <laughs> in a <laughs> in a very small town so <laughs> that's, that's cool. uh, but i'm about an hour and a half outside of melbourne so it's um yeah, yeah it's a good spot about the old outback man right <laughs> he's that's probably like it. shut up <laughs> it's not the outback <laughs> no, it's, um, it's not really sec <laughs> yeah yeah no. uh is so next we've got caleb jackson so caleb uh tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do yeah, so I'm uh, currently an author. I'm, well, I'm at a university right now uh, studying political science communication. So ironically, nothing to do with theology, but it's always been a topic that's uh, interested me. So my 
the published book that I have right now is uh, about the resurrection of Jesus, and that was about 250 pages. Uh, and that was just a topic that I found was really interesting. And I had read other books about it, but there was none that really satisfied me. So I'm like, you know what? If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. So I think that's a, always a good mentality to, to write your own stuff. Um, and, the, and now I'm currently working on a book uh, about theodicy, which uh, for those who don't know is like solutions to the problem of evil. So I go through and I rank the counter arguments and what I think is the best theodicies. And I go into a little bit about hell and divine hiddenness and, and stuff like that. So it's really an amalgamation of a lot of different subjects. But uh, I wrote that during a time in my life where um, both of my, I actually had two grandfathers that passed away a month between each other. So it was a very uh, depressing time in my life. So that that's kind of what motiva motivated me to write that. And that should probably be out in a couple months. I don't want to give an exact date. I've also uh, submitted an article to the Journal of the Testament, uh, which is under peer review right now. So I'll have to wait back and see if they accept it and publish it. But that's on Matthew 28's version of the resurrection. And I go into why I think that's based on an early tradition. But so I, I do have a little bit of a publishing background in that sense. But I do admire that James can uh, put stuff on a blog and videos. because I think that really reaches out to more people and is a lot more accessible to a lot of people. I'm sure we'll have a good conversation today. All, All right, right. Dave, why don't you uh, tell us what we're going to do now? Yep. All right. So we're going to be debating the topic, is Christianity true? That's pretty broad, but uh, I'm sure we're going to zero in on some specific aspects of that uh, format. It's, if you are a regular viewer here, then you should be pretty familiar with this. We got a uh, 10-minute opening statement. I believe we're starting with Caleb because he'll be offering the affirmative. And... Uh, so we'll have two 10-minute opening statements, and then we're just going to let them have a free back and forth, uh, at which point just uh, Russell and I will only get involved uh, if for some reason we need to. So, uh, Caleb, uh, we're going to turn this over to you. Your 10 minutes uh, begin whenever you start talking. All right. Can you hear me okay? All right. Thanks to everyone who helped arrange this debate, uh, both the Davids and James. I hope this can bring about a meaningful discussion. Before explaining what I'll be arguing in favor of, let me clarify what I will not be doing. I will not criticize James's deconversion. As his YouTube channel indicates, I assume he is an honest person who was originally sincere in his faith. People have told him, quote, you never had any faith to begin with. Uh, I would like to apologize on behalf of my fellow Christians because I believe that statement to be naive. I will actually agree with James here. I think he was and is sincere, and I'm assuming that he is genuinely searching for truth. James writes that, quote, atheists are humans too, end quote, and I absolutely agree. Hopefully we can have a meaningful conversation, as humans should. With all of that out of the way, today I'll be arguing why I believe Christianity is, in all probability, true. Now when I say the word true, I'm not referring to a strictly mathematical proof. I will not argue that Christianity is true without any reasonable doubt whatsoever, only that it is most probably true than false. For Christians to be established, uh, for this to be probably true, one needs to focus on the core doctrines of Christianity, what C.S. Lewis called mere Christianity. This includes the existence of God, as well as the deity and resurrection of Christ. So other secondary and tertiary doctrines relating to the Old Testament, biblical inerrancy, the Trinity, and so forth will not be relevant to the question of Christianity's validity, and thus not relevant for tonight's debate topic. The first doctrine of Christianity, one that is obviously required, would be the existence of God. Obviously, very, various arguments have been given over millennia, although we will only have time to discuss one in particular here. I will be using a variation of uh, Leibniz's contingency argument, 
Now, bear with me, this might get a little bit technical for some people. Now, uh, Godfrey Leibniz asked the famous question, why is there something rather than nothing? We intuitively have explanations to why things exist. I exist because of my parents. This computer exists because it was made in a factory. There seems to be only two logical explanations for why any particular thing exists. One, either it exists, its existence depends on something else and it's therefore contingent, or two, it exists by the necessity of its own nature. In other words, it is impossible for it not to exist. This would apply to logical and mathematical truths like two plus two equals four. It just can't not be the case. So given these options, it is true that either the universe exists contingently on something that transcends it, or it exists necessarily. Most atheists, and I would assume James is probably in this category, would argue that the universe itself exists necessarily. Maybe there's an infinite cycle of big bangs or a multiverse or quantum fluctuations. However, I think there are good reasons to think that the universe is not necessary. In order for something to be necessary, it cannot be contingent or have contingent qualities. So a necessary thing cannot come from a previous state and thus can't be intrinsically changing or originally temporal. It also cannot be contingent on space or spatial location and is therefore non-spatial. The universe, however, it is defined, does not meet this criteria. It is constantly changing and constantly evolving. Even if all of existence is made up of infinite change, changes and chains of events, all of these events are technically contingent and thus cannot be necessary. There must be a primary cause. It's important to note that I don't mean a literal first cause as in before. This works with an infinite set. Rather, Leibniz argued that even an eternal contingent universe would need some explanation. So then, if the universe is contingent, it must be contingent on something. Ultimately, all contingent things must be based on a necessary foundation. As discussed previously, this necessary thing cannot be changing, must be timeless, and cannot be contingent on space. This leaves us with a non-spatial, timeless, changeless ultimate state. But then how does a timeless and changeless cause give rise to a temporal and changing effect? The only conceivable way is if this state is personal and can will for the change to occur. It is akin to a man sitting motionless in a chair for all of eternity before deciding to stand up for the first time. If we replace the man with a non-personal thing, like let's say a ball, then there will never be an event, time, or change. A personal being is required. Therefore, we have a necessary, timeless, changeless, non-spatial, and personal being, and as Thomas Aquinas would say, this we know is God. Therefore, a naturalistic explanation of creation leads to an ultimately contingent view of existence, which itself is unexplained. Naturalism simply cannot account for this factor, in my opinion. Now, James has listed two main reasons he rejects theism and Christianity, which are as follows. One, it is convoluted, and there are, to quote him, hundreds of issues, end quote, with the arguments. Two, all theistic arguments are circular and presuppose God's existence. Now, I have presented an argument for theism and will present an argument specifically for Christianity in just a moment. James's first point that Christianity is convoluted seems to be a very broad statement that I don't think he has given specific arguments for, for in his online and written work. James's second point that all theistic arguments presuppose God is simply mistaken in my judgment. The argument I presented here today does not start with the premise God exists. Rather, it is meant to be deductive. It starts with various premises that, if true, lead to the conclusion that God exists. Having argued for the existence of God, I will move on to my second point. In order for Christianity to be true, we must establish that the Christian God exists. This does not necessarily require the existence of the Trinity, as there are Unitarian Christians. It requires at minimum the divinity of Jesus Christ and his resurrection over the dead. Proper background information needs to be established. 
For one, Jesus made claims that he believed himself to be either divine or messianic, or at least a prophet in some way. Even given the small portion of sayings by the Jesus Seminar, Jesus seemingly did make very provocative claims and deeds. According to James Charlesworth, the majority of New Testament scholars, whether conservative or liberal, agreed that Jesus of Nazareth performed what people believed to be miracles, faith healings, and exorcisms. It is generally agreed that Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man, as this is referenced in multiple independent sources like Mark, the Q source, and John, among others. The Son of Man was presented as a heavenly figure who was given authority to rule over the earth in Daniel 7. Thus, we have good reasons to believe that the historical Jesus saw himself as a prophet of God, enlightened with authority, and believed that he had the power to perform miracles in God's name. This brings us to our third and final point, the resurrection. I have written extensively on this topic in my published work, and so I will not go into great detail here. James has said that, quote, whether Jesus rose from the dead or not, I don't know. If you want to prove to me that Jesus rose from the dead, then prove it, end quote. I think that the weight of the historical evidence presents a very compelling case for the probability of the resurrection, especially in conjunction with the background evidence that I presented prior. Jesus, having been executed for these claims and deeds, was apparently seen by both his disciples and his enemies after his death. While it is common for bereaving individuals to have visions of the deceased, early Christians came to a much stranger belief. They held that Jesus had not just been a ghost, not just been an exalted saint, but instead bodily raised from the dead by God. Many people try to use what's called a minimal facts approach to the resurrection, and I'm sure that James has heard of it before. Instead, I'm going to work backwards. I think that examining the reasons why these first century Jews came to believe something foreign and so peculiar is a compelling place to start. Why would someone come to sincerely believe that someone against all expectation could be raised from the dead? This remarkable belief, as well as additional factors like the empty tomb and postmortem appearances, requires historical explanation. The appearances of Jesus after his death are held to a scholarly consensus in academic circles. Likewise, Mark Waterman states that, quote, not a few, but rather a majority of contemporary scholars believe that there is some historical kernel in the empty tomb tradition, end quote. The specific arguments and evidence for both of these claims has been laid out in my published work and will in all likelihood be discussed in the cross-examination portion of this debate. So I believe that granting the background information provided prior, including God's existence and Jesus's claims to be affiliated with this God, which I argued for, the hypothesis that God raised Jesus from the dead in order to vindicate his radical claims is probably true when put in conjunction with the historical evidence. Other naturalistic theories fail to account for all of the data and cannot make predictions that co-align with the historical information presented. The atheist philosopher Anthony Flew has admitted that, quote, the evidence for the resurrection is better than for claimed miracles in any other religion, is outstandingly different in quality and quantity, end quote. Robert Cavan, another atheist philosopher, claims that, quote, the evidence for other miracles is weaker than that for the resurrection, end quote. If one is to look at the evidence with both an open mind and in the context of background information provided, then I believe he is rational affirming that Christianity is indeed true. Therefore, in conclusion, there are good reasons to think that God's existence and God's actions to raise Jesus from the dead are more probably true than false, and thus Christianity is more likely to be true than false. Thank you for listening, and I hope we can expand on these ideas in the discussion. All right, thank you, Caleb. We're going to turn this over to James for your 10-minute opening statement. Okay. Well, I'm not going to speak as fluently as my opponent here, but I will put forward a collection of ideas and an argument 
which I will perhaps say that the lack of present day evidence for the uh, claim that Christianity is true, in fact, proves that it is not true. And that the Christian claim itself, um, more specifically, the New Testament claim um, about the proof of God's spirit and power um, and the lack of evidence for that in today's world does, in fact, prove um, that Christianity is not true and probably that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. In Gotthold, Ephraim Lessing's work on proof of spirit and of power, he begins with the theological predicament. That being, this proof of the spirit and of power no longer has any spirit or power, but has sunk to the level of human testimonies of spirit and power. Because of this problem, Lessing questions, how is it to be expected of me that the same inconceivable truths which 16 to 1800 years ago people believed on the strongest inducement should be believed by me to be equally valid of an infinitely on an infinitely lesser inducement this is the problem of of um when when we look at the the historical jesus if any of you have studied that and i myself have studied that um yet modern scholarship sophisticated scholarship biblical scholarship from contemporary evangelical voices like Kierkegaard, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Michael Polanyi, Murray Ray, argue that the best evidence for the reality of God is in fact seen where the human being would have an, an encounter of power and of the spirit with the kerygmatic Christ. This is very true of the Bible and the claim of the New Testament by both Jesus, by both Paul, and the New Testament writers, in fact. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. He says in 1 Corinthians 12.4, that there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of ministries, the same Lord. And he goes on to say that there are gifts like wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, affecting of miracles, prophecy, the distinguishing of spirits, various kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. In the Gospel of John, there is this theme of signs, essentially miracles Jesus performed, which fulfilled Old Testament themes concerning Israel and the surrounding nations. Jesus changed water into wine. He healed those who were crippled and sick in this narrative. He healed a man who was born blind. He resurrected an embalmed corpse from the dead. He multiplied food, feeding 5,000 people, walking on water, and more. John is also a gospel which commissions the disciples to enact the same or similar works. In fact, he says that the disciples or believers of Jesus will do greater works than him. This is the claim of the New Testament, that the evidence for 
the claim of Christianity will be seen in the lives of Christians and believers. What concerns me about this is that this, in fact, is not seen. And the claim of modern day evangelicals is not proven. But the claim of Lessing, who was, in fact, a Christian, more likely today probably <laughs> be somewhere like an agnostic or an atheist. But that still claim that claim still holds true, which was made in the early to late 18th century that this proof of the spirit and of power, it doesn't have any spirit of, of, and power. It's sunk to the level of just testimonies and people claiming that these things happen. This was possibly one of the reasons why I deconverted, because I tried to live a life according to this gospel, according to the New Testament claims. I genuinely believed that I would see these things, that there would be evidence for the resurrection, that there would be evidence for the spirit. I've prayed for hundreds of people. I've um, prayed for cripples. I've prayed for people who are severely deformed. And not once was there a miracle. Not once was there any present day evidence for this resurrection. And I'll note again that evangelicals, clearly like, like solid Christians who are right up there with, in, in terms of Christian thinking, argue that there should be an encounter, some kind of encounter of power and of the spirit. This is not only true for me, but it's true in the lives of many others. For example, and I've changed the names, Anastasia says, my journey was, uh, was fairly similar. Apart from becoming a pastor, although I believe I could have easily gone that way if I wanted. Um, this led me down to the path of Israel only full preterism and a variety of other things. But he basically said that this whole thing just crumbled before my eyes as I realized that Christianity, also like the other religions, was false and mythological. Another testimony is from Jessica, who says, thanks for sharing your story. I felt this way for probably 10 years. The feeling perhaps felt agnostic, almost like as if pushing it to the side type thing. Um, I've been doing my own research and asking for recommendations, also most just researching a Google atheists and authors and different kinds of research, but this has helped me a great deal. Once again, thank you for your story and seeing this has helped me too. Um, another from Jeff, hey, I was a theology student and then an overseas missionary for two years. I gave every inch of my being to God in multiple countries, but felt abandoned and stressed that God didn't follow up on his scriptural promises. I'm now heavily agnostic, following a very difficult, mentally exhaustive deconstruction. Thanks for your honesty. Your experience is very similar to me. I'm still struggling five years after leaving full-time ministry. I'd be keen for a chat sometimes, he says. My claim today is, if the resurrection is true, then where is the evidence for the resurrection in today's world? If you want to prove Christianity is true, then present some present-day evidence, not just written evidence, because I actually accept that 
the Bible as a historical document. I accept the mod the majority of um, scholarship and things that surround you know um, New Testament thinking. And my 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 claim is that just because something sounds good and it's compelling and it feels right <laughs> historically, it doesn't mean that that claim's true. And there is a clear failure um, on part of the Christian claim, um, whereby it's it's not seen in today's world. And I'll finish by saying, a close friend of mine went overseas to, to participate in Heidi Baker's ministry. Um, she's a, a, a popular Christian evangelist who supposedly moves in the spirit and power. You could look her up on Google if you need to. This friend spent thousands of dollars going there. She moved there with her husband. They sold the car. They left everything in the pursuit of this Christ-driven life. But like the example above, um, there was nothing to be seen. <laughs> there was no present-day power. There was no present-day move of the Spirit. It was just pretty much charitable works that were going on. And the claims of the movement of the Spirit and power that were happening overseas, as you might hear in many different um claims of missionaries was just just a matter of 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 talk and i find that a lot of um a lot of that's all really christianity is and and has become it's it's a matter of talk look at us now we're, we're having a talk about it show me a demonstration of the spirit and power show me a demonstration of of god and you'll save thousands <laughs> So that's my claim. I've got more to say, um, but we can have a conversation about that. Yep, we're going to transition then at this point to uh, the back and forth. Uh, I'm going to let Caleb lead here, and, you know, I trust that you guys will be gracious. And, uh, yeah, I think Russell and I will just keep back and uh, let you guys talk. Uh, Sounds good. Yeah, so that was... Uh... I think both of us had a lot of stuff to unpack there, so I'm not sure we'll be able to cover everything. Um, so I, I guess we can just do this as a Q&A or I can soften up a couple points. Oh yeah, one thing I did want to yeah, say sure. is, um, yeah, uh, for, I know you have a um, charismatic background, right, James? Or Pente I don't know if it was Pentecostal or Episcopalian, but. Um, no, it, it was, I grew up in a Pentecostal church and at about the age of 10, we, joined a Baptist church, and I, I was heavily involved there as a child, spending all my time, <laughs> basically for four to five years. Um, so I also was trained in an evangelical college, and I've studied at the University of Otago um, under evangelical um, scholars. So, yeah, I, I, like I would say what my background is, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly... As a pastor, I was fairly adaptable. I'd worked in the Baptist church. I'd worked in the charismatic Anglican church. Um, and the Anglicans here in Melbourne are not Episcopalian like they are in the States. Um, they are solidly evangelical. And that's Mel like that's Australia-wide, basically, except for Western Australia. Um, so my background is, is evangelical, um, I would say, with some charismatic roots there. Okay. Uh, I brought that up because you did mention a lot about gifts and spirits and miracles, which 
I guess makes sense given that con that cultural context that you were familiar with um, when studying For sure. theology. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if I would say that that's necessarily, and you did cite some scriptural verses, but I mean, I'm sure you, you know as well as all of us that like many, if not most denominations are, well, I don't know if I'd say most, but a good portion are cessationists where they don't necessarily believe that works or spirits in that way even continue on to today. I'm not defending that yeah, position. But, but, yeah, but like, isn't that just so convenient? <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of, and again, I said I'm not defending that because I was going to bring up a couple other points. Um, but I don't know, you did give a lot of anecdotal ev evidence, which I appreciate, but it's not that I don't, I mean, obviously when I'm talking about testimony, that's all anecdotal. Um, but, you know, I think when, sure. I think, you, yeah. yeah, I but think, the, I mean, these, these testimonies were, were, were about the lack of testimony. They sure. weren't about, um, so they, sure they were anecdotal, but yeah. they weren't antidotal in the sense that an anecdotal um, example is usually used as something that would point to truth. They, they, they point to something where, where there is a lack of truth and, and there's a difference there. Sure, yeah. Um, but I, I think you and I would both agree that preferably data and statistics is more um, more admired than anecdotal evidence if it's available. Obviously, you don't always have that. But um, For sure. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Right, yeah. So I, I think that when it's a very common thing to say like, oh, there's no evidence. And while it is true that we don't hear about stuff like that every day, because, you know, if it, if it happened every day, then it wouldn't be miraculous. Um, I, I would yes, yeah, contend yeah. the fact, I would uh, probably dispute the fact that it doesn't happen at all today. I mean, uh, I don't know if you've read or heard of Craig Keener's book on miracles, about 1,200 pages, and he documents, he has like x-rays and, and uh, medical stuff. And I'm not saying that all of those have to be true, because you need to look at them yeah. on a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah, um, yeah. I did read the examples you gave in your book, uh, particularly okay. about the lady who was um, blind and her husband was a pastor and he prayed for her and... and um, she right. was healed uh, right up till the point of death, basically, um, with, with little reduction in sight due to old age. Yeah, what do you think about that? And I think that was, I think, in the journal for, uh, I don't remember the exact title, but it was in a, it was like in a legit, I wouldn't just call it testimony, it was in a peer-reviewed medical journal. I mean, that's probably the best yeah, and, of evidence you can get for something like that. And, and, I, and I appreciate that. Um, but is like, is that it? Like, j just because I like, I give a testimony of something, um, is is that like the 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 evidence? Just uh, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, oh, well, what, I, you're, like, what you're saying is this is this is this is data. Well, I mean, it is if doctors diagnose it and confirm that it happened. I mean, that's typically how medical research works. I mean, unless you're, I don't, I'm not proposing she sneakily was taking medicine on the side or something. But from the from the yeah, data yeah. that the doctors gathered, they didn't just, she didn't just walk up and tell them that and they wrote it down like, okay, you know, I mean, if, when you go, when you get published in a journal, you have to go through rigorous review and stuff. So they had, and if you've actually, I don't know if you've read the actual article, but they like tested her site beforehand and after. And I'm not saying that's definitive yeah, proof, yeah. but I think that's a good place to start. And so, um, and again, I don't even care that much about this particular point because I, ultimately and agnostic on the question of cessationism. I don't really think it matters ultimately, but um, I think that's good. I think there is contemporary evidence that stuff like that does happen from time to time. I'm not saying that faith healings are, are legitimate in general because I know that those things can be psychosomatic and, and fake. So 
you have to look at these on a case by case basis. Yeah. Yep. I'm um, just with, in regards to your argument. Um, you started by talking about the reality of the universe existing, and that there was probably some kind of cause, um, and that we would we would both agree there. Um, I like I agree that the universe exists. <laughs> that we're all here. That that would um, be a wild debate if we if we didn't agree on that point. <laughs> and like i like I'm definitely not here representing the Big Bang theory or anything like that. But like this this conversation, this debate is about whether Christianity is is true. And you've put forward an argument. You you, you spend a few minutes on that. I'm not sure how that is a foundation to whether Christianity is true. Because the claim of Christianity is, is that Jesus came, um, Jesus was God the Son within the complexity of the Trinity. And within God's self, God chose to send God's Son um, to become a human being. And God's Son was, this is the, and I'll be fair to the evangelical claim, I'm not going to spin off a, a version of some atheist um, version of the gospel. I'll be true to what the text basically puts forward and what you, and Christians believe. So God's son came in the form of a human being, being both fully God and fully man. Um, he did what he did. He made various promises. He died for the sins of humanity. And he rose from the dead with the promise that there'd be the outpouring of the spirit and a present day reality of, of spirit and power for the believers. That is the main theme of the gospel that there would be power and of the spirit and that this is not present in our reality now. So I'm wondering how you can defend that claim. Um, I, 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 and and I'll, I'll temper that by saying I actually accept that the gospel accounts are, are historical. I'm not saying that everything in, in those accounts happened. I'm, I, it's a historical document. I accept that. There's, there's no problem with that. I haven't got no problem with that, but I still can't see why that points to the reality of Christianity being true. If it's not true in today's world and, and the majority of science and, and reasonable thinking would point otherwise to that fact. Okay, so uh, there was a lot in there. So first of all, just to bring it back to the uh, contingency argument I gave, uh, to clarify, the reason I gave that, because you're right, that, you know, a general theistic argument is not evidence for Christianity. But I wanted to establish the background evidence that there is likely a God and that Jesus affiliated so, himself with this God. Because if there was no God, the probability that Jesus was God and raised from the dead is zero. I mean, I don't think we, I don't think that would be controversial to say. I'm not arguing that Jesus rose naturally from the dead. I think that's impossible. I think that God intervened in race. And I agree. I think those arguments are stupid. And I, I think the people who make them are, are being really un, unreasonable and just and, and ridiculous in, in their critique of, of the Gospels. It's just, it's madness. I've never liked them and I still don't like them. Wow, that's nice coming from you. <laughs> I had a whole page of notes on the, on the Gospels, but I don't even have to use them. So, so thanks about that. Uh, yeah, but the, the but the resurrection argument doesn't even require that the gospels are generally reliable. I mean, that's why I mentioned I didn't use the minimal facts argument, but a lot of people do, and that's 
you know, we could assume that a lot. I mean, most people don't think that, you know, the story in Matthew with the guards in front of the tomb. Most people don't think that's historical. And that's fine. That doesn't really affect the case. Do you mean the guards with the angel? Well, they see the angel, yeah. But the, the fact that there were guards in front of the tomb so the disciples wouldn't steal the body. Like, most people don't think that's historical. And I'm granting that for the sake of argument. Um, no, I no, no. I, I, I would just say that that would have likely occurred given the commotion around the life of Jesus as per the, the document say. But sure, sure. that they saw an angel, probably not. Right, yeah, and I'm not defending that anyone saw an angel. I was just saying that some things in the gut, we could grant some things probably weren't true, and that wouldn't, just, I'm not saying I personally believe that, but just for the sake of argument, and that wouldn't, that's not yeah. the case that I'm trying to make. So, but yeah. I think that with the... Um, but what is the case you're trying to make? Yeah, so I'm glad I could get to that. So um, I think that the evidence for the resurrection primarily goes around. I, I did emphasize the fact that um, these people came to a very non-Jewish belief, which is even crazy in today's standards, but it was certainly back then, um, that he had been bodily raised from the dead, which is very strange. Uh, and when people, you know, people do see dead relatives occasionally, whether it's ghosts or they have hallucinations or whatever, but they don't conclude that the corpse is walking out of its tomb. They say that it's you know, a ghost in heaven, right? So yeah, the, yeah. The, the question is, why would someone come to such a belief? And I would take in, they were talking about N.T. Wright at the beginning of this. I would take N.T. Wright's stance that I think that the best explanation is that there was both an empty tomb and bodily appearances of Jesus. Uh, like an empty tomb by itself wouldn't lead to that belief. It would lead to belief that the body had been misplaced, which is mentioned in John. And appearances by themselves without an empty tomb would just convince them that he was a ghost. So I think that having those two together, and I think there's independent arguments as well, not just that point, but there's, you know, I'm sure you've, the, the women witnesses and the fact that um, Jew, Jews actually reburied the bodies after a year, which would make the empty tomb falsifiable. There's a lot of different points on that. Um, but I don't think historically there's good reasons to deny that um, there probably was an empty tomb and there probably were appearances of Jesus, which... Th that combination led them to believe that he had been bodily raised from the dead. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does make sense. So, but I'm a little bit confused about your argument because um, you've you've written this this book on the resurrection, um, but your conclusion actually contradicts your argument. Um, so, you, is is your argument? That Christianity is true because Jesus lived and rose from the dead. I'm saying uh, that it, that increases the probability. That makes it most probably true if it is the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead by God and in vindication of his claims to be uh, a prophet or divinely affiliated. Yeah. Which, which part are um, you talking so about? Why do, you, why do you say that despite all of this research, the ultimate answer to Jesus' resurrection will likely remain in agnosticism. Right, yeah, so that's a good point. So the majority, well, I would say probably most scholars, uh, and I think I have a quote of like, we can't know, would be agnostic. They would say, yes, these are these facts are probably true, but we just don't have an explanation. A lot of them will say hallucinations yeah. or, or other things, but there's plenty of issues with all of those. So I, when I yeah. said that, I mean that I don't think we can ultimately know or I don't think there will be a historical explanation that all scholars will agree on. And they'll all say, oh, yes, we agree that Jesus rose from the dead. So when I meant when I was saying that I was talking about scholarly 
um, views on it that I don't think scholarship will ever give a definitive answer for this is what happened because it's such a radical yeah. thing to, to say. Yeah, it, it, it is a very radical claim. Um, so is the likely conclusion of this historical evidence um, one where you would be left in a bit of agnosticism? Well, if you mean ultimately, like, can I be 100% sure? I would say no, but um, I would say that it's it's the same level as far as like, can we know that Julius Caesar was stabbed to death by Brutus, right? How do we know that? Well, there's testimony of people who reported it at the time, or can we know that Jerusalem was destroyed or that Socrates drunk hemlock? I think using that historical methodology, we can come to it about the same degree of certainty. Obviously, is it possible there was some conspiracy that all of those things could have been faked? It's possible. I don't think it's likely. So it could be a way how yeah. we're defining agnosticism as well. But Yeah. Um, I've read not all of your book, but portions of it. And in, in my opinion, you've, you've presented a recapitulation, recapitulation, recapitulation. of Christian claim. Mm -hmm. And you've basically come to the conclusion that this is a historical document. Um, and you even say whether Jesus bodily rose from the dead or not, I don't know. Okay, so that's something you've said in your book. And your conclusion, which should be the summation of, of all of your work. And we're left in a, in a sense in, with, with this theme of the only way to, to know this for sure, or, or the only thing we can give is um, our personal faith towards this evidence. Would you agree that that's... I don't think I use the words personal faith, but at least I you don't... Did kind of, you did kind of allude to that. Um, okay. Because you talk about it being something that's unfalsifiable. Well, yeah, so that the unfalsifiable was referring to... So, like, so, sorry, just... No, I'm not trying to... Sorry, just to finish that thought, you say in italics, no amount of evidence or empiricism would convince them that God exists. So you're saying, here, here it is. It's, you, it's um, an unfalsifiable claim. And the only way that one can really believe this is to believe it by faith. Because you're saying essentially this claim, you're acknowledging and, and you're being honest, like, like I'm trying to be honest. You're saying we're left with a sense of being agnostic towards this historical claim, even though you, you think it's a compelling argument, but we're still left there. And then you quote Jesus, Jesus himself stated, they would not be convinced even if someone were to rise from the dead. So we're left with the, the same claim of Christianity, the same um, argument that Christians and or theists and atheists or agnostics have with one another that Christians just simply believe this by faith. There is evidence. It leaves us in a place of, of, of it's not sufficient evidence, though. And it leaves us in a place of, oh, I don't know whether this happened or not, but I'm going to believe it by faith. Okay. Can I speak? Okay. I was waiting for you And, and I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you talk for a while because I'm, I'm. No, you're good. It's, yeah. it's good, to, good to let someone actually, um, you know, speak. Um, their argument out properly. So right, yeah. No, I always appreciate when people cite material because it's always good to do research. Um, so 
to to clarify the part where it says they will not believe most of that in the context of the passage is referring to other scholars other people so although i did say i don't know i still meant that in a probably probabilistic sense and i actually said that in the opening statement of my thing is yeah. i'm not here to prove it with 100 certainty i do think that given what i said with the probability it's why i gave uh, the contingency argument for god's existence stuff like that i think if the premise that god exists is likely true and if christ claimed to be affiliated with god and if christ rose from the dead those three things put together make it probable that christianity uh, is true on the basis that god vindicated christ by resurrecting him from the dead so and also keep in mind that this was made or part of this was actually submitted um to a conference to a conference for an honors program at my college so i had to keep i didn't want to make it overly preachy right this isn't lee strobel's case for christ so to keep it yeah, and, and, and I appreciate that that this piece of writing is is essentially an academic exercise yeah. and you have to be um factual and fair yes thank you and i didn't want to overwhelm saying yes this has to be i was saying that actually someone asked me this at the conference because it was an online conference because of COVID, obviously but they said yeah. like what do you personally think happened and i said well if you believe miracles are possible, I think the best explanation is that Jesus rose from the dead. If you think miracles are impossible, then you pretty much have to go with another option. Um, and so that would be what I would say. And that is kind of why I was more on the fence in framing the wording. But I do personally believe that, yes, it is more probably true than not because of the background information given and because I think that the evidence uh, is more sufficient in that degree. Um, did, but did you have a comment on the particular, because I, I don't know how much of the book you read. I know it's pretty thick and, and technical and that's you didn't have a very long time to read it so I, I can't blame you for skimming it um, but like are there any points in particular that you disagreed on as far as like the evidence like I talked about the whole empty tomb the appearances and it's very detailed and I know that it can get a little bit dry at times <laughs> but uh yeah like, like I'm, I'm not here saying I disagree with um what's going on in in your book or what what ideas you're you're putting forward um i think you you make a really good contribution to um christian theology and thank you you made, some, you made some, good, some really good points there um um and one one of the things i, I perhaps perceived to be a little bit of a contradiction was um you're making this claim for you you for the I, I, let's just say life, death, tomb, and you know, resurrection of, of Jesus. Um, and throughout your book, you would say the classic line of anyone's ever studied theology <laughs> um, that both evangelical um, or contemporary evangelicals and liberals alike agree to this. Um, whether that's about Jesus lived or Jesus did this or whatever. Um, but then you conclude by saying there's a discontinuity in a, or there's, there's a lack of agreement um, between scholars around the issue of the resurrection. Um, and then you conclude, as I've already said, in this being left in this state of agnosticism, um the other thing you said which is um 
not a jab at you, <laughs> but you said someone's writing at a 5,000, was it, page? Gary Habermas is, yeah. Man, why does someone need to write a 5,000-page book on whether or not? I, I, know it's, I know it's a he's consolidating. Um, you can ask him. I don't know. The, 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 <laughs> uh, it's just, it's just, just like this. <laughs> For the record, I think he's referring to Gary Habermas because he's yeah. working on a 5,000 page book on it, which is that's going to be really yeah. long. But sorry, go ahead and finish your point. And, and, and that will be valuable because we'll be, we'll be able to say, hey, look, here is all the scholarship done around this. It better be all but, the scholarship with length. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm still back at my point. Well, not my point. Um, but Lessing's point that this is still a matter of words. This is still a matter of um, conversation, to, to, to paraphrase. Where is the present day evidence for the resurrection of, of Jesus? Yeah, and before before you you finish that thought, I did want to jump in and, and, and kind of change that direction because I think we've covered the resurrection and so forth. But I did want to ask you guys to comment on the encounter uh, that people are supposed to have of the Spirit's power. Is that, you know, can you guys address that? And you can finish your point because it seems like that's what you're going into. And I do want to focus this last part of the debate on this specific area is that cool sure um i think it's a could be a little distracting from whether that proves christianity is true because um we don't know with do you know whether christianity is true because like i, I just want to emphasize like i'm agnostic about it i don't i, I and so are you from your book and within within reason and, and i think it's fair to say you, you've done that through a rational exercise and your conclusion is agnostic um and, and i understand why you said that because you've completed the rational exercise um so we'll let caleb answer that one real quick caleb are you agnostic on that 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 aspect yeah so i I feel like I, I don't want to be a broken record, but just to clarify, because I think there's a lot of confusion. Uh, so first of all, I'll go back to one point he said earlier. He said that you said most scholars agree on these points, but are agnostic and don't agree on the resurrection. I was saying most scholars agree on like things like Jesus's death, burial, empty tomb, postmortem appearances, but they disagree on the conclusion. So there's agreement on the... On, they disagree on the miraculous. They disagree on the explanation on the resurrection, yes. But not on yeah. the factors concerning it. That's what I was trying to say. So um, this would go into like Ehrman. This would go into like Ehrman's view that history can't uh, make a definitive claim on miracles, right? Well, that's that is Ehrman's view. That's also, I mean, more famously David Hume's view yeah. about miracles. Um, and ju just so I don't avoid your question, I I am personally not overly depending on how one defines agnostic. I don't think we can know with certainty. But I think the probability is much greater than 50%. Richard Swinburne thinks it's as high as 97%. I don't know if I would go that high. I don't think I could put a number on it. But I do think it is more probably true than false. So that is my personal position. The agnostic points were to emphasize the academic level and emphasize that I'm not trying to beat um, anyone over the head with this in a scholarly environment. So that's why I had made the points about agnosticism. But I personally 
am not I would not label it agnosticism for my for my personal taste. Okay, just to just to clarify those points up. Um, but we can talk about Hume if you want, unless Russell, you really want to go with the stuff of the spirit. But I don't. I think both of us. I don't know if James agreed, but that I don't know if that's pertinent to Christianity because they're cessationists and. I don't think that would really matter, even if it was true. Uh, well, the only reason I wanted to, uh, to address I it would, from James, James's point of view, because he it was a big part of his argument. Sure. So, I, I mean, if he could just maybe spend five minutes and then you guys can go off on an, on something else for the last ten minutes, that'd be fine. Yeah, so... Um, I, I, would, I would like us to, to go there and to, to discuss this for some time, because I don't really accept that claim of oh well there's the cessationist so you know that would be unfair to christianity mate the spirit is the main the main claim <laughs> this is the um age of oh, apparently the age of the spirit um so it 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 is like everything in the christian life has has to do with the spirit um so we should talk about that and and even the cessationists would believe that that to be true and i know know that in a sense although they have a just a bit of a different spin on it so i would like to go there and we should talk about encounters with the spirit and, and, and yeah what. yeah and i was i was going to jump in just real quick james uh because there is a yeah, yeah. one question i do want addressed in this is is that you're saying it's not there but what about the people that do claim it is there you know i mean they they claim that they have these encounters and, and maybe we can address that but um yeah. as well so i just want to throw that in there you guys can hash it out the way you want to but you know just uh just keep that in mind yeah okay. and i'll let caleb i'll let caleb answer that real quick and then you guys can go from there yeah sure. so um i don't i mean he's right that it depends on how you define spirit i think most christians would agree that the holy spirit is still around today i don't think anyone would deny that as to does the Holy Spirit specifically initiate in things like tongues and healings? Um, that's obviously debated, and that's obviously, um, you know, there's thousands of Protestant denominations, and many of them, if not the majority of them, I don't think necessarily hold to that view. Not that that makes it right or wrong, because I don't want to do an ad populum fallacy or anything. Um, but per personally, I do feel like James is, I don't want to say he's boxed in, but I do think that the environment he's grown up in him makes it seem like that that is the only way that that could be um, endeavored within Christianity. I don't want to put words in his mouth. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, just a quick response to that. I would say I disagree. My exploration of that is actually from the text um, because the Bible is riddled with miracles. Um, it's like every new every gospel. Um, author makes a point of saying, oh, here's a miracle or here's a sign. Um, that is thematic, if you want to talk about something as being historical, through Acts, through not just the lives of the apostles or the disciples, but also through Christians who were newly converted to Christianity. They too were performing miracles. Um, so that's cessationism falls at the feet of that. Um, so I you can't separate this idea of the continuity of the miraculous um, or the spirit as giving um, miracles to the world as, as, as something that, and I know you don't 
necessarily do that, um, but as something that is not um, uh, that that is not that should, it, it, it. What I'm saying is that the the that should be present today as it was in Acts, which was post Jesus's resurrection and ascension, and as in in the Gospels, yeah. So, by the way, as a side note, I, you all are frozen on my screen. I can still hear James, but uh, I don't see any movement. So, yeah, you're frozen on mine too. I mean, you just give your response; it'll probably cut back in. Okay, yeah. As long as you can hear me, that's all that matters. Yeah, we uh, can hear you. So, yeah, I, again, I don't think Acts and the Gospels are irrelevant, but cessationists don't claim that they were never able to do it. I think cessationists claims that they ended with the apostolic age. So. That would include that includes Acts. That includes um, throughout the lifetime of the apostles. Even in um, I don't know if you've read Contra Celsum, which is uh, written by Origen, but Celsus, who was a Greek uh, opponent of Christianity, uh, remarks that the, the disciples of Jesus are probably possessed by spirits because they perform miraculous works. Right. So I I wouldn't say that it's or at least yeah. And, and he's speaking in the second century, I believe. So it may have continued on to some degree, but I believe there are church followers, and I forget off the top of my head who it was, but there are some who like noticed that they were starting to fade out. Probably within, I think, the fourth centuries. It might have been Augustine, or I might just be misremembering that. Yeah, it's Augustine. He he said he didn't even know what tongues look like <laughs> at that yeah. time. Right. Yeah. yeah thank yeah. you. That that's from the man who cut his penis off. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll, let's just you know well, keep yeah. that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. Um, who is the, uh, was it Van Gogh who cut his ear off and he was a brilliant artist? So, but maybe that doesn't mean everything. But, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our next debate will be just cutting off anatomy, make you a less credible person. Um, <laughs> but, oh, that's, uh, that's not a debate I wish to enter. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, so I, I do think obviously there are plenty of theologians who would, uh, I'm sure, who are more qualified than I or James combined who would disagree. And there are some who agree to that as well. I know personally some people who are um, Pentecostals or in that church, but uh, I, I would yeah. disagree with them. Plus, I think the people who a lot of the times, I won't say all, so I don't know how your specific congregation did it. But um, even Paul talks about translating them properly, and he's like, you know, it should be a very orderly process. But if you look at, um, in the United States, we have a church called Bethel, and sometimes they'll speak in tongues, and it's extremely chaotic, and you don't have people properly translating. So even if they yeah. do do it today, I don't think they're following the rules that St. Paul set forth. Um, yeah, maybe not. Um, let's. I, I do want to go to David's question I, I'd, I'd like to go there about this idea of the spirit being present i just want to say like you keep appealing to cessationism are you like are you like a cessationist <laughs> like it's okay if you are <laughs> um why do you keep appealing to that because i think it's a possible option i personally don't know i mean i don't i think i'd lean towards cessationism but i do think that miracles occur occasionally i don't think you can do them on command or anything but um I, I mean, that's where I, and I actually that's where I give the statistics and the, some of the journal things, which I, to be honest, I don't think you really responded to. You kind of just said, is that all? But I don't know if that constitutes as relatively a response. I mean, I think that it's, having medical evidence is the best you're going to get. 
Uh, actually, in the United States, 55% of doctors claim they have personally witnessed what they would consider to be a miracle. So I think to say that to take David yeah, Hume's approach. I mean, that's a fairly dubious statement. Like you give one example, like like one, and then you, you state that and it's like, oh, well, miracles happen. It's still like my claim is that's still written evidence. I'm, I'm saying where is the present the present day reality of, of the resurrection? And you're claiming to be a cessationist. But to be honest, man, like cessationism ceased to have a bit of a pun in there in the 1940s and 50s that is no longer a relevant perspective in in contemporary evangelical scholarship and i've I've, i made that clear in my open statement although it was not as eloquent as yours from voices like i mean the, the the development of leaving cessation isn't behind came from voices like kirkengard dietrich bonhoeffer and more presently Michael Polanyi and Murray Ray and Christopher R.J. Wright and even more. So I don't know, like, I think just the appeal to cessationism is a bit of a, oh, well, here's this small group of Christians who say that um, present day miracles cease, but it's, it's, it's a weak argument and it's, it's not biblically based. It's yes. not the claim of Christianity. The claim of Christianity is one of, of spirit and power and an encounter with the charismatic Christ. And I, I can't, I don't see that as being evidenced in today's world. And if, and to speak to the, the moderator's question of, well, how, do, how, do, how does one explain people's encounter with the spirit? Well, as I demonstrated from the New Testament, the claim of, of the New Testament thinking was that there would be more than just an, an, a, an outpouring, or one might describe it as, as I've heard hundreds of times, a tingling feeling. Um, there, there should be more than that, according to the Bible. There should be faith, healing, miracles, which was left broadly open in, in Paul's theology, prophecy, tongues, um, an interpretation of, of tongues. And to be honest, just the only thing that is reasonably uh, demonstrated um, within the, the Christian church is this idea of, um, or this reality of feeling the spirit and, um, and uh, speaking in tongues, which anyone can just make up. You know, like, like, is that it? And, and some vague prophecies about, um, oh, I sense you have a great call and I see you, your life is going to be like the life of David and, and, and I see you with a sword and I see you moving in power with the gospel. You, do you know what I mean? Like, like anyone can say this stuff. That is the only present reality of, of, of the New Testament claim today. And, and I, I find that concerning. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people do as well. People find that concerning today. And there's been video evidence for, you know, God knows how long, but there's been video evidence for, for so long and, and, and still no one's if capturing anything that's reasonably convincing. In fact, I would say the contrary, any video evidence for any kind of movement of a miracle of God is relatively unconvincing or reasonably unconvincing. So, um, yeah, and so in some sense, I'm, in response to like the the moder the moderator's question or the host's question, 
what do I say to this idea of people experiencing the spirit? Well, so what? You know, like you get a, you get some tingles or some goosebumps, or you feel emotionally overwhelmed by the reality that you've probably uh, hold my tongue there. You've probably messed up in some way. You probably feel guilty and you feel bad about that. Um, and you found this message which feels good and you're crying and, and you're taking that as something that that is a move of 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 god or a move of the spirit and it's just not enough you know it's just not enough all so, right well that's that's a good answer I, I think we'll let uh caleb respond to that and uh we'll move it into the closing statements here after that yeah yeah so first of all let me just say i don't think i said it more eloquently than james because he has an australian accent or i'm sorry a new zealand accent and it sounds very good so yeah. he has that advantage um <laughs> so uh as far as uh people he cited uh, i don't deny that there's certainly plenty of people who would affirm tongues but he mentioned people like kierkegaard as one but kierkegaard was a philosopher not really a theologian now he said some very pertinent things towards theology no doubt about that but you know, sure. I think I, th I don't think we can cite him as not that he's not authority, but, you know, there's people like John MacArthur, who I don't even agree with on everything. But James White, yeah. who are definitely not uh, who are definitely not continuationists and who have spoken out against it. So we can both cite people on, on both sides. And again, I don't think that strictly the biblical evidence you said, which I know you don't even accept. I know you're saying it for the sake of argument, because as an atheist, you wouldn't accept biblical evidence in that sense. But um, I don't think that that has to pertain, that the interpretation has to pertain to modern day and could not pertain to apostolic. But, you know, I don't want to get off track and make this just a cessationist continuationist debate, because as I said, I'm not necessarily a cessationist. I'm saying I don't know and I don't have a strong um, horse in the race on that particular issue. I also don't think it really matters. And I know that that might be a point of contention, but that's why I laid out in my opening about uh, C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity. And I don't know if C.S. Lewis believed in tongues or not, but C mere Christianity is the idea that all of the Christian doctrines that hold the main denominations together, you know, which is the divinity of Christ, existence of God, resurrection, and so forth. Uh, I don't think that you have to include spirits in there or else you're going to get rid of a whole bunch of denominations. So I honestly don't think that's overly relevant. And I guess I would ask, if it were true that Jesus really did rise from the dead and that cessationism is true and that people don't speak in the tongues, would that not make Christianity true? Even if he did rise from the dead, but just didn't happen to have uh, tongues that continue on. I mean, I, I just think that that's a very weird uh, position to take. James, you're muted, bud. Okay, can I respond to that and then we can yes. give our comments? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, this is, um, that sounds like a typical cessationist response. <laughs> the, and and, and I'm, I'm, I know that because I, I worked in a cessationist, a church which had cessationist roots. Um, you keep talking about tongues. I don't, like, I'm not talking about tongues. Um, I'm talking about where is the demonstration of the spirit of power in the Christian church? Um, and I don't, yeah, but I, um, 
yeah, we're we're still left in that that state of agnosticism. Um, you're saying, well, isn't this historical evidence compelling enough? But it's 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 clearly not compelling enough. And most scholars today agree. Most middle of the road majority of, of evangelical scholars agree it's it's not enough. There has to be some kind of encounter. And what I'm saying that the encounter that we have seen is is just simply not enough. So yeah. Do, are we going to closings or do right. I some Yeah, yeah. Um I, I, I don't know. Uh what do you guys think is David, you think we should uh do the closing statements now? And you, you can make that response your closing statement if you yeah, like. Yeah, that's Caleb. fine. We can do that. Yeah, yeah. I would yeah. say we'll go to closings and feel free to, you know, give any responses or last thoughts in that, yeah. you know. Uh, like, let's give you, like, uh, maybe, like, three minutes. Wrap Am I up still here. frozen, by the way? Yeah. A little bit. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> it's as long as you can hear me. Okay, who's going first? Uh, we uh, usually give our uh, second round of opening statements the last word because you're in the negative and we give the positive opener the first uh closing statement okay so basically caleb first and james second okay you could have started with that um <laughs> so yeah um i think that we've discussed a lot of points tonight this was a very fruitful conversation and james seems like a really nice guy and hopefully we can do something along these lines sometime uh, but I think the case that I made uh, for the existence of God has not really gone refuted, and I don't think anyone would object to that, even though it's not overly definitionally proving of Christianity. It is a relevant topic to make, because if God does not exist in Christianity, is by definition false. Um, I'm also glad to see there was not a lot of dispute on Jesus's historical claims, which was my second argument. And for the third point of the resurrection, we heard a lot of back and forth on um, whether or not one agrees with one, whether or not one finds evidence compelling. And of course, what you find compelling is inherently subjective. But I do think that given the explanations and given the counter arguments, which I know we didn't really go into discussion here, because I think most of us just kind of conceded it for the sake of the argument. I do think we have good historical grounds. And I would just like to affirm that I do think that that's all my case requires, that even if there is no continuation of the spirit, which I'm not saying there is or is not, that it does not ultimately matter, and that even if Jesus was raised from the dead, that would be pretty good signs, I would think, from God that this is the right religion, however one takes the interpretation of the feeling of the spirit. And I don't think that even my arguments in favor that maybe maybe continuation of mystery, the fact that we do have plenty of documented, not just claims, but miracle um, and medically documented claims of people being healed instantaneously of incurable diseases through prayer. Um, I don't think we've really heard that much of a response other than just him not being satisfied with it. And I understand that's subjective, but I guess it's like, what, at what point would the evidence convince you? And if medical evidence isn't going to convince you and all the documents that Craig Keener has, at, at what point other than, you know, your own personal experience? And I just think that that's kind of what I get to that, um, we can't ultimately be sure, and and I don't mean that in the agnostic sense. I mean that like people who who don't want to accept it. And I'm not saying James is close-hearted or anything like that, but just generally speaking, many people I think don't accept it for philosophical and emotional reasons. But I don't think that they have had technical responses to a lot of the arguments made tonight. So, yeah, thanks for having us on, and uh, this was really fun. So hopefully we both learned a lot from from this discussion.
All right, James. Of course. Thanks, um, thanks, Caleb. And thanks for being, um, thanks for not saying that I didn't have enough faith or that God was simply testing my resilience of faith. Um, I don't want to go over what I've already said. I've, I've probably said the same thing five times over. <laughs> but what I want to propose for my leaving thought is that um, it's something for us to consider that, that the gospel claim or the, the claim of Christians today is that the gospel is a very confronting um, reality to, to the person. And I've thought about this a little bit, and I want to say that what is more confronting is the idea that we're not in communion with a God, um, that life is not eternal, um, but is noticeably short. And that this is the one and only life that we do get to live and that we must take ownership and responsibility for this, um, knowing that it is particularly short. Um, we're not going to observe the outcome of humanity, of, of our planet, of, of future travel. And that is a very confronting reality. Um, it's incredibly confronting to the person who has been, um, who's grown up in, in the world where Christianity has had a major um, influence, where um, theism has, has had a, a major influence and it's entrenched in our thinking. Um, but science and the theory of evolution contradicts that. Not knowing something like who the hell created the world and this crazy chaotic planet that is moving and that we live on is uncomfortable and it is very uncomfortable to stand in a museum like i have the melbourne museum and look at a collection of 30 to 40 real skulls dating back like way way back it's really confronting and it's it's not what we want to hear and I don't think the gospel is as challenging and as confronting um, and overwhelming like the reality of, of, of science is and the reality of, of, of true reasoners and, 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 um, and exercising real ethics in a real and changing world. And I want to say thanks for having me. And it was a good conversation. I, I, I feel challenged and um, I'm sure my opponent feels challenged in, in different ways. Hopefully on the area of cessationism, if, if I was to give you advice as a, as a fellow Christian on say, hey man, drop cessationism, read through the, the gospel accounts and, and acts and, and you'll find that, that that's not true to um, the, the Christian message. And then you'll probably find that Christian message isn't true, like many of <laughs> um, my fellow friends who have reached out to me have. Well, thank you very much there, James. Uh, we're getting at the conclusion of our show now, and I just wanted to personally thank both of you guys for coming on. Maybe we can have you on again sometimes. I, you know, just some closing remarks on the sensationist aspect. I mean, I, from what I always understood is that, you know, uh, you know, God still does work today. A lot of the people that were cessationists aren't 
like Advent sensations, cessationists like uh, James White or John MacArthur, but uh, do believe that those miracles had a purpose. I mean, we don't see the Red Sea parting again. I thought that was pretty, you know, so we're not going to see these miracles in the flux that we saw them in Acts or uh, uh, the, uh, Jesus. I mean, Jesus was vindicating himself. And, you know, even to the John chapter four, when he said, you know, we're going to do more things. You're going to do more things than I. And I think you, you nailed nailed it on the head right there, James, because I think Christianity has influenced so much in our cultures today. And I think that for me, that's a work of the spirit right there. Uh, but that that's just my thoughts on it. And maybe, you know, who knows? I'm not like it. Like I said, I'm not going to go and, and preach right now. We're at the conclusion. And, and like I said, I loved you guys coming on. Maybe we can come on and talk about this more sometime uh, on cessationists and how how, you know, an atheist deals with this type of stuff. You know, I, I think that's a very awesome aspect of your testimony. I came from your similar background uh, as James did. And it was it was a hard hurdle for for me to really investigate, but I came out on the other side, James, <laughs> on the other good, side of the good. argument. But uh, but anyways, <laughs> I guys. I, I did too, man. <laughs> um, hey, um, so David, you got anything to add? Oh, I was right? just gonna say, actually, in defense of Caleb, I actually, in my experience, more Christians that I have come across, and certainly more historically, have been cessationists. That is actually, like, if we're talking in in terms of like how many Christians there have been historically, yeah, cessationism has definitely been the dominant position. Uh, as far as you know, presently, I have no idea what the present statistics on it are, but in my experience, it seems that. Uh, cessationism is still dominant, but then again, I am in a cessationist denomination. But that was that was the only comment I wanted to make. Yeah, both of the Davids do a debate on cessationism. I know, right? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not like a strong advocate of it either. Right. I, I'm kind of. Yeah. I'm kind of in the agnostic camp with Caleb there. But um, it's, you know, um, my, it's more prominent in the U.S. I think. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, yeah. it's, it, but yeah. it's it's also it, it's it's rampant. I, like I said, I grew up in a church where. You know, people were just spouting tongues left and right, man. And, you know, you're, you're just sitting there and somebody's speaking in tongues and you're here and you're like, whoa, what's this? You know, and yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very prevalent. Uh, my wife was listening to uh, some worship music uh, the other day at uh, her mom's church through online because of all this COVID mess. And there you can hear people singing in tongues over there. So I'm just like, okay. Yeah, yeah. But you know, uh, you know, there's a there's a lot to that argument, and um, it was very interesting, guys. And I, I really appreciate both y'all's views here. Um, and yeah, um, thanks for coming on. Uh, I don't know when we're gonna have our next raw. That should be coming up in a week or so. Um, PRA raw. Stay tuned for that. Um, stay tuned for more debates, ladies and gentlemen. David, is there anything else? That was it. All right. Well, you guys have a good night. Thanks for coming, and we are out.